This video is being recorded. It is, and it's going to go on the internet. Oh, my God. For tens of people to see. (laughs) Hello, Tim. Ten if I'm lucky. Ooh, maybe I can get you 12. Ooh, I would love that. (laughs) All right, well, thank you for taking the time to struggle for... 40 minutes to figure this I'm out. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's fun. We're having a good time. Yes. Um, thank All you for taking the your time to come on. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad we finally got it worked out and figured out. Oh, a um, kitty butt. <laughs> yeah. Bentley, the uh, split in a bottle mascot back there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he'll be up here very soon. As soon as he realizes that I'm over here, he's going to come over here as well. As he should be. Yes. Okay, so you are the first person that's really not in the entertainment world that I get to talk to on this show. Yes, that's exciting. I'm excited about uh, talking about your new business venture, Model Citizen PI, and a couple of the things that have gotten you to here. So I guess I don't really know the full story of why you got into this industry in the first place. I kind of just knew you 12 years ago and then we didn't really talk that much and then all of a yeah. sudden you were working on getting wrongfully incarcerated people out of prison and I'm yeah like, it kind of happened it kind of fell into my lap actually so I was working for a broadcasting company in Madison Heights um and we did a lot of live shots so I was like very um in the news world so we were doing live shots and <laughs> look at m- mascot here that's the trailer um, right there, that 30 seconds. <laughs> um, so we, you know, we did a lot of live shots and uh, what's called a satellite media tour, which was we would have a guest in the studio and we would hit every um, morning show from New York to L.A. So it was like every like half hour you would do the same segment for every news station across oh, wow. the country. So a lot of like live TV. And what had happened was um, a local investigative reporter, Bill Proctor, um, he kind of frequented. in, I'm sorry, he would frequent the, the broadcasting company that I worked at. He was friends with the owner. So he was around and I just got introduced to him. And eventually he had hired the company I was working for to kind of create a, like a new hip website or like media blitz kind of to, kind of inform the public about wrongful convictions because that's what he was doing. So through that, me and a good friend of mine, Erica Lynn Smith, she uh, helped me create what is now Seeking Justice, which is Bill's kind of voice box to the public. Nice. So um, I had no experience in the justice justice system at all. Right there. Yes. Hiding, hiding in the background of the set. (laughs) <laughs> Easter egg, I spy. Um, I had no experience. I was just someone who, like many people, are interested in true crime and um, kind of obsessed with that genre of film and TV and just really interested in crime in general. And when I became, I know it sounds so like ignorant almost, but when I became aware of wrongful convictions because, you know, 10 years ago, they weren't really in the public's eye as much as they are now. Um, I think, you know, Making a Murderer or the serial podcast that had came out, that was really like the first two 
big media coverage of a wrongful conviction case or mm-hmm. claim. So I think that had just come out. So I w- was made aware of wrongful convictions and how often they happen. So meeting him was kind of serendipitous at that time. And I uh, was more than happy to work with him. While it's right here, and since you just said it, is there a statistic on roughly like how many convictions are wrong? Like, Yeah, so one in four people on death row is innocent. So if you do the math downwards, that's, you know, like 25%. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is there like, do, is there like a solid number on how many people are on death row right now? Because I know we don't use the death penalty super often yeah. anymore, but I know, isn't it like in the mid hundreds, like between a hundred and a thousand, like four or five, I think. Um, I would actually have to pull the stats because they change so often. And you're right. They, um, for some reason, when they do statistics on wrongful convictions, they only use death row cases. So you kind of have to like broaden that out in your head. Well, if one in four on death row is innocent, like how does that trickle down? And it's, it's honestly like 400,000 people probably are wrongfully convicted out of the... (laughs) And then there's, and I will get you actual stats on that because they do change yeah. so often. Yeah, I would love to. Um, and then I can incorporate them into the like information yes, that people please, can read with the episode. Um, and that is one thing that I am passionate about is creating more statistics on wrongful convictions because those can be pulled in legal cases as evidence if they were right. statistical analysis. So if I, if I wish I had more numbers for you, but it's like almost impossible to provide them because no one cares to provide them. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's upsetting to see because I hear about these cases and these prosecuting attorneys and these police officers and detectives, they just really, it seems they care about just finding a person that did the did the crime as opposed yeah. to the person that did the crime and finding someone yeah. responsible and closing the case. Yeah, they just, um, it is really honestly, and so this is a statistic that has recently changed since I've gotten involved because when I started, the number one reason wrongful convictions happened was witness misidentification. So someone just pointing to the wrong person, which it happens when you're under stress. We all know that you make mistakes. Yeah. You you misremember things and people are influenced by what other people say. So that used to be the number one reason. And now um, the statistics is police misconduct is the yeah. number one reason why they happen, whether it be they're not doing thorough investigations or if they are straight up doing something uh, misconduct related, like purposefully. So whether it be with malicious intent or not, the police are where the problem is. Right. Do you have interaction with officers with the kind of work that you do ever? Yes. So sometimes I have to interview police on what they did in their investigation. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, and what's your experience been like? Do they seem like apathetic, not interested in helping someone who's been convicted, or have you had a generally positive experience where they're like, oh yeah, I mean, 
if we messed up, let's get that guy or girl out. No, it's very um, hard to even get anything out of them because they're basically going hit to hit me with, I can't talk to you. This is an active case or where right. most of the time what I'm doing is like they're under investigation themselves. So it's an active case and they, they can't say anything because it will hinder their investigation. Because um, a lot of my clients end up after they're um, exonerated, they sue the police department that wronged them. <laughs> so a lot of times the police do not want to speak to us willingly. Um, That's incredibly <laughs> frustrating. Yes. Um, but other times they, they get it. Sometimes the people that are wrongfully convicted are in and out of the system before and after their conviction, whether it be wrong or not. Um, so sometimes it's like they are rolling their eyes. They're like, oh, we got to talk about this guy again or whatever, you know. Yeah. Sometimes it's kind of just like, you know, that's their job. It's their day to day. So it's like an eye roll to them, I guess. Right. Uh, so when you and Bill started working together, because I believe you said, I think I saw recently, and by recently, I mean the last couple of years, that you had upgraded your position within his organization to full-time. Yeah. So, you, so, so you, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry to get No, um, so he... He is on his path to retirement. And, you know, this is a heavy burden to carry through your retirement. And I think he's creating um, a path for me. So the tr it's a transition period right now. So um, in 2022, he asked me to be his business partner. So I am now a partner at his private investigation firm. Um, and then with hopes of me getting my own license and then starting my own company, which I told you is going to be called Model Citizen. And There's a website already. Yes, Model Citizen Check PI. It. I will give you all the info. It's still under construction, but we're right there. It's about to launch. So um, the goal with that is to kind of cultivate a community of people who are tapping into their inner detective and prioritizing their personal safety and like really focus on wrongful conviction prevention because mm -hmm. if we're all individually doing what we can, then we create a community that's doing better overall. Right. So whether it be workshops, like how to change your tire with long nails or like how teaching fems and thems, how to interact with police um, and then just making sure that we're protecting each other things to notice, how to be a good witness, like if you see a crime happening, like things like that. So Yeah. Is there anything that you've learned from doing this for a long time that are just like maybe blanket advice for dealing with police, for example, or like identifying someone in a situation? Is there something that maybe seems obvious but if you've never done it before you know like, like kind of like stop drop and roll none of us have been in a fire thank god but right. if no one told yeah but if no but one we told know what us, to do right we know that smoke rises and the cleanest air is going to be at the bottom because they taught us that in grade school but like no one ever came through first grade second grade and was like hey when you need to talk to a police officer 
or when you're getting mugged and you're going to eventually have to describe this person. No one taught us like, you know, look at height, look for scars, look for tattoos, look for, you know, this like, and I don't even know if those are correct, but like, is there anything like blanket advice that someone should maybe have in the back of their mind? God forbid they encounter a situation like this. So for your first part of the question was interacting with the police. And I hate offering advice that requires you to buy something. But one thing that you can do as a driver, if you are, you have a driver's license and you have a car and you're driving around. One thing that you can do to protect yourself always is just get a dash cam. Mm -hmm. So you have a camera on. And if you are interacting, you're getting pulled over. It's just very easy. Hey, this is being recording. I have a dash cam. Yeah. So, um, police officers have to turn on their body cams. We forget that. Like they're not rolling all the time. So what we can do to counteract that is have one uh, ourselves. I'm turning mine on now too. And it's a little less threatening than the phone. Right. Because as soon as they see a phone out, I feel like the police officer is going to be on edge. Mm -hmm. And again, I hate saying like, offering advice because it's really the police officers that need to be listening to me and like taking advice on how to interact with uh, civilians. Mm -hmm. Um, But as a civilian, I think to protect yourself, um, that's like one of the easiest things you can do is to buy a dash cam. They're not very expensive, but to hook them up and just have one ready to go just in case. Yeah. I I have a cute little hello kitty one. So (laughs) I, that sounds great. I <laughs> don't have a car, but I still want a Hello Kitty dash cam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? uh, and then, you know, I, I watch a lot of dash cam videos and police interaction videos on YouTube. It seems like the phone situation, they all it always escalates. And yes. it's not on the civilian to de-escalate the situation. That is the police exactly. officer's job. But the dash cam already being going and then... No, I was taught, you know, have your hands just like resting on the steering wheel so that exactly. they know you're not doing anything. Cause but, you know, I hate the, saying that yeah. because I've seen so many videos where the man gets shot with his hands on the steering wheel. So right. I, I, uh, I really don't want to give any advice about like what to do or how to interact. Right. Like, obviously it's don't be threatening, but like, it is like you said, the police officer's job to not be threatening. Like, Right. And I mean, if, if you're, if you're up there like this, right. And, and they, and you've got three or five, I've seen, I've seen one where guy was talking to the male officer and like, they're disagreeing. He's like, what did you pull me over for? And he's asking for IDs. Like you haven't, told me what crime I've committed, whatever. And then his partner just automatically pulls a gun. His hands are still up there. And, you know, there's always the little text at the very end of the video, like officer so-and-so was suspended with pay for one week. Right. Or something like that. Holding them accountable is the problem. Right. Yeah. It's like, we can sit here and talk about how to be the perfect civilian, which is what my company would be doing. Model citizen. I want everyone to be a model citizen. But what does that mean living in America, a crime-obsessed country where women can't walk to their cars without holding their keys between their hand, right. where black men are wrongfully convicted seven times more likely to be wrongfully convicted than 
a white person. Um, we live in a country where police are n- never held accountable for killing civilians. So, like I said, I would I want everyone to be doing what they can, but that is ultimately to cultivate a community that is not scared of police officers and where police officers are not scared of the community because it works both ways. Right. So just minimizing interaction with police. So my yeah. my goal is to be like, you never have to interact with a police officer because that re- reduces the risk to zero. Right. Of being wrongfully convicted or et cetera. Worse. With, uh, ooh, we might need to leave and come back because I'm seeing a one and a half minute timer on my Fair. Zoom. Um, <laughs> That's but fine. I'll ask, and then maybe it's a quick answer. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> if not, I'll think about it. N- not holding police officers accountable. A big thing with uh, qualified immunity has been in the news cycle, not as much in 2024, but really big in 2021 and 2022 with the Derek Chauvin case and subsequent cases. It seems like that was being talked about a lot. Um I understand the idea behind qualified immunity, but there also seems to be an abuse of power that comes with it. Right. If you, if you had the power to fix it and or change it, would you get rid of it completely? Would you amend it? What would you change or would you not change it at all? I doubt that's the answer, but (laughs) giving, giving you all of the options. um, Think about that. I'm going to, Put another link in your inbox and we will come back and we will okay. pick up there in about 30 seconds. Sounds good. Here we go I again. did not want to jump through those hoops again. Okay, okay. cool. Okay, so qualified immunity. <laughs> Obviously, you don't want to change accountable. any of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I appreciate like wanting to change the police and the conversation about that, I think it's ongoing because there's so many things that could happen. Some people think that there shouldn't be police, which, you know, like, let's talk about it. I personally, I'm not running for president. I'm not running for Senate or governor or anything like that. I'm really just trying to give people the tools so that they can navigate the world we live in because the world we live in, one in four people are wrongfully convicted. Right. So I think as most of the issues of the world are very large for one individual to take on, and I feel like we as a society burden ourselves like that. But I'm trying to empower people to do little things daily so they feel like they are making a change because they are. Change happens on a small scale first. Yeah. So... If we create a community that doesn't allow wrongful convictions to happen, that's how we hold the police accountable. That doesn't happen overnight. doesn't happen in five years. It happens yeah. centuries. That's right. how we got here in the first place. So we have to work backwards in a way. Nice. <laughs> Sorry to throw that question right back at you. <laughs> no, no, no. I love it. Not an answer. <laughs> Um, no, I no, that's absolutely an answer. Um, it's an answer I wasn't prepared for, which is why I love doing this podcast because I don't want to know 
all of the answers. If I know all the answers, then I'm not learning anything. Exactly. Um, it's perfect. So with model citizen PI. Yes. You, so do you need to get your license first before that can officially launch? The investigation part of it. Yes. What are the steps to getting that license? Right now I have everything ready to go. I just have to send the state of Michigan some money, which is always the problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then see what they say. <laughs> okay. So what, what were the steps then? Like, are, are there um, courses? Are there so requirements? No, you, you actually have to either be educated in some sort of criminal justice background, or as Bill was able to get his through his investigative reporter background, um, or you have to mentor under an investigator for a certain amount of hours. And I have been doing that for eight years, so I think that qualifies me. <laughs> Absolutely. And then you need uh, letters of recommendation, like character letters. So. Okay. How many? And then I, you know, there's Three. probably a huge background check that they do, but I work for a casino right now. So I've already had to go through a pretty rigorous background check. Yeah. Nice. When do you think you're going to be up and running? Like ideally? Um, I'm giving myself till May to like actually launch. So it's going to be a soft launch from now till May, just beta testing things. Um, I have a drop ship supplier for some of the items I'm going to be selling. So just uh, working out the kinks with that. Um, a big part of this store is also going to be like crime fashion. Um, I know I checked, the hot, I the hot trend the right already. now. Yeah. <laughs> the hot trend right now is like mob wife fashion, you know, like, but really like anything like that, you know, detective fashion. Um, I'm wearing um, rescue rangers right now. Yes. Stuff like that. <laughs> um, I love that. Anything um that exemplifies how crime obsessed this country is like we've incorporated it into our fashion like i want to like i want to show off all of those things you know like uh we, we live in a country where we used to like idolize bank robbers like we we dressed oh, up yeah. like them like the whole 20s was like a, a salute to crime mm -hmm. <laughs> we just wanted to be mobsters you know there was there was a fashion that the bank robbers had. Yes, like exactly. and it was and it was like the whole John Dillinger. Dillinger, like yes. it was it was it was very cool. Yes, you, so like you, I want to talk about that. Like, why is that so cool? Why why are we drawn to stuff like that? You know, why is mob wife? Why do you know immediately <laughs> when you see someone like that? Like, what is what about it? Um, makes us. I don't know, so eager to like, consume it. It's like it's all crime-related because we're obsessed with it. Yeah. Do you do you have any theories? Like, do you think it's because it's taboo? Do you think it's because it's, like, people like feeling bad even though they aren't bad? Or, like... Ooh, I can't hear you. No, I lost you. Yeah, yeah.
This episode of the podcast is brought to you by coffee. Coffee, drink it out of a Christmas mug, even though it's January, but also brought to you by Duracell. Duracell won't crap out on you in the middle of a podcast, or will it? How are we? Are we back? We're back, yeah. Perfect. (laughs) Batteries that die. Ooh. (laughs) Second time today, guys. (laughs) Duracell. We should have gotten Energizer. should have gotten something else. (laughs) Um, Okay. Where were we? Oh, oh, Um, okay. So I had done a little study on this, and we made a magazine. I believe you actually helped me. It was called Wound Culture, Mm -hmm. where we explored the idea of why people are obsessed with crime and murder and basically it is just because we are as a society we view trauma and we like want to be close to it in a way where we can experience it without actually having it done upon us and this is a, a much larger subject that we could go deeper into right. of why we do that and why Americans specifically are much more crime obsessed than other countries and why crime happens here much more often than other countries. Do you think those two are correlated? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it is a repressed nature in a way, but yeah. that's a much more philosophical thing. Phil- philosophical Sundays, everyone. <laughs> um, why? Are we so wound culture obsessed? That's a question for the audience. Maybe yeah. something I, <clears throat> I certainly am not qualified enough to give an answer on that. I, <laughs> but I see it. I mean, and here's you, even further. The general theory of crime states that crime is more likely to happen to women than it is for a woman to commit crime. Yet, women are 80% more likely to watch crime-related content. (laughs) So my mother, she used to say, like, as I'm sitting there watching a thousand episodes of Forensic Files back-to-back, she used to say... Doesn't it scare you to watch all that murder and crime and all that? And to be honest, it made me feel better. It made me feel better to recognize that crime happens in patterns. And yeah, it made it easier for me to navigate those patterns. So if I stay away from those patterns, I minimize my risk of encountering crime. So, I don't know. It was always comforting to me, in a way, as a self-reflection on why. I can see that. It's, it, and I feel, I feel like that I've at least heard, you know, don't walk alone at night, don't wear headphones and a, and a hood, and, like, all of these different ideas. And they all come from, like, forensic files, crime shows, um... Do you think that we were as crime obsessed before? Is it how to how to make a murder or making a murder? The yes. Stephen Avery Netflix thing? Because I know that that was a very successful show. 
Yeah. Or at least season one was. And then I remember podcasts were a thing, but true crime prog- podcasts weren't necessarily as big. And then a year later, it seemed like I was talking to five, 10 people who were trying to put me onto this true crime pro- podcast. Like a yeah. year later, it seems like they blew up. I have actor friends who were starting their own true crime podcasts and doing voiceover work for like narrative driven true crime podcasts. It seems like they popped up out of nowhere right around the year, year and a half after that Netflix documentary aired. Do you think that it was always kind of there and the Netflix documentary helped it find a new medium or do you think it kind of awakened it in a, in a whole new generation of people? Yeah. Um, so the the first case that really got crime in front of a camera is the O.J. Simpson case. So before that, trials were not um, aired, broadcasted like that. That was the very first time that there were cameras like that being broadcasted nationally across, uh, you know, globally probably, uh, watching the verdict. So that is really, that's like when court TV became a thing. Mm-hmm. After that case, um, just the spectatorship of it, I think people got it was like a sport almost, and yeah, like people were you know rooting on either side, regardless of like how you feel about that case. But it, you you cannot deny that it was a cultural, culturally significant point in our American history because that is when we had access to crime like that. And yeah. when we started like wanting more of it, like, oh, we want that juicy, juicy trial. Um, and like I said, Court TV, that's the their whole network is broadcasting trials. Mm-hmm. Um, so from that point, it just got worse and worse, <laughs> our obsession with it. Right. And I do think I agree with you that serial in particular probably transitioned from visual media to podcasting um and they saw how successful that was and i agree with you there's a hundreds of thousands of podcasts about true yeah crime. <laughs> they've they've blown up there i mean there's even you know uh only murders in the building there's a show about making a true crime podcast right. and that's there's also very successful id channel id yeah. Whole cha- whole, there's cha- whole channels dedicated multiple to... Multiple whole channels, yeah. So, I don't think that happens elsewhere. <laughs> like, Japan, this, they're not making content about crime because, one, no. they would be talking about American crime. They wouldn't right. be talking about anything else. So, and also there's no need for it because they're probably not consuming it like we are. You know, there's a right. need for it because obviously you see it doesn't matter. I can throw a dart and watch a show and I'm going to watch it because I'm interested in whatever the case is, not mm-hmm. so much the show. I have a I, it's funny you mentioned Japan. I have a friend. Uh, my last shift was last night, so she's no longer a co-worker as of uh, oh. 330 in the morning. <laughs> Congratulations, um, I guess. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Very valid. Uh, it was it was an awful it was. It, it's unfortunate, little side tangent. It's unfortunate because I really enjoyed the job the first year. And then the second year was just a ever increasingly uh, intense downhill slope into toxic madness. 
as jobs um, are. As jobs are. As we are trying um, to cultivate other things. <laughs> yep. The, uh, what she posted a story though about walking around Japan. And she literally said, I could never do this in New York as a woman. And she lives in Astoria, which is not necessarily viewed as a bad neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Like, but it's still New York at night. She's a woman. She's relatively small, which I believe factors into uh, making her an easier target. What people don't know is that she kickboxes and uh, does martial arts. So, but even then, I mean, I'm not going to guess her weight or anything, but her up against a 200 pound dude. No. And that's why there's nothing you can do. Like, yeah. Um, so that's another part of my store is like selling personal safety items and also educating women on, you know, there are certain little moves you can do that will buy you time and get away. And I also, um, you know, might come as a surprise, but I am an advocate for, uh, individual firearm CPLs, like learning proper gun use is important. We live in America where you could literally stumble across a gun at any moment. And nine out of 10 times, if you are in a criminal, you know, you're up against a robber or something like the perpetrator is likely to have a weapon. So knowing how to navigate that, knowing how to use a weapon, knowing how to not get your weapon taken from you. Like these are things that are important because we live in a world where they're all around you. So personal safety and taking initiative, because I find a lot of femmes and thems are maybe they have their power taken away from them in a way, or they feel not empowered because I find that they diminish their own self. Like they feel like they can't do these things. Like, Oh, I can't change my own tire. I got to call somebody. That's not the case. Like I want to, I want to empower them. I want to make them feel like it's not that big of a a task to do that Mm -hmm. because car trouble is going to cause you to interact with the police if you don't know what you're doing. Because if you're on the side of the road and your car is breaking down, like knowing how to get somewhere safe, like because people could pull up on you, offer help, and then overpower you. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not, I'm not saying you need to like be scared of every situation, but like knowing. You need to have your guard up. At yeah, the very just least. Know, just know. You just... Yeah. Um, I'm the kind of person that plays out all the scenarios very quickly in my head. And I kind of try to find a middle ground. Because obviously it's not going to necessarily... Not all the time is it going to be one way or the other. Most of right. the time it's going to be in the middle. So just being prepared for the worst, but hoping for the best. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So, um. It's unfortunate that we live in this world where we have to do that. But I think being confident is key. If I feel confident that if I pick up a gun, I know how to take all the bullets out and clear the chamber, make sure everything's good. Well, now I'm not like scared of that situation because I know what to do. Right. And that's (laughs) knowing's half the battle. (laughs) See, I'll make shirts like that. That's yeah. a normal citizen. <laughs> I, side note, I want the first edition merch. I want <laughs> okay. whatever the first hoodie or the first t-shirt is. Um, 
just throwing that out there. Pink. Have you checked out the website, by the way? I checked out the website when I first asked you to come on this show about three, four weeks ago. Okay. And you said, let's talk more about this. This is what I would like to touch on. And I think there were only three items in the shop. Yes. And I still think it true. was, I think it was, uh, it was a bedazzled mace. Did I see oh, do, it? Changed. I, it changed. Oh, okay. My cool. three items okay. are, um, a hidden camera detector. So, okay. um, if you are in a hotel or changing rooms, or if you're a sex worker, that's another thing we haven't talked about. I really want to empower sex workers to feel safe as well. Um, people who are more likely to interact with the police, like, um, right. and, and also sex workers are often used as pawns in wrong, wrongful conviction cases. So I very much want to, um, educate sex workers on their legal rights. Do you think that's because, uh, a lot of people look down on that line of work and it, and it's easy to question their character and dismiss them as no just like dismiss them as 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 kind of, i don't know go ahead maybe maybe from a juror's point of view but from the police's point of view they are the most they are the easiest people to manipulate because they have the most to lose um for example um i can name probably five off the top of my head cases that i have worked with where a sex worker was the main witness and they ended up being coerced or threatened by the police to make a statement about my client. So what happens is sex worker will have kids and the police will say, you better give me a name of the person that you saw leaving this building or I'm going to call CPS and tell them that you are a sex worker. But what I want sex workers to know is that that is against the law. Police yeah. are not allowed to threaten CPS ever. So if you hear those words coming out of their mouth, call a lawyer. Right. If the police also, are knocking on your door and you're a sex worker, for anything, yeah. did you see something? Let me call my lawyer. Yeah. Um, if you don't have one, like I have a resource page of like where to find one. Right. Who works with sex workers. Because that is, I can't tell you how many, how many women I have who were scared to lose their kids. Of course. That's... And they just say whatever the police tell them to say. And then my client has lost 20 years of their life. So just knowing off the get, if a police officer, they can't just say whatever they want. They are not allowed to bring up CPS. Ever. Unless CPS called them to do a wellness check. Right. If they're there to talk to you about being a witness to a crime, there is they cannot say anything to you about CPS. If they wanted to, they can obviously get in touch with CPS. If there was right. something that needed to be done. But they're not oh, allowed to oh. use it as a threat to coerce exactly. you into, yeah. Right. If a lawyer was standing next to the police officer, they would say, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> so that's why they try to get you without a lawyer. I can't, uh, th there's a fun game I play um, when I'm watching anything fictional and there's an interrogation scene, whether 
in the film, I'm supposed to be on the criminal side or the police side. Mm-hmm. I always go like, how long would I let this conversation go on without calling a lawyer? And it's usually not long. <laughs> but, it's usually like, the not scene goes yeah. on forever, right? <laughs> like, why isn't the Joker calling somebody in the? <laughs> the Joker it's never had lawyer. a lawyer. <laughs> You're just letting I'm... this bat keep me up. <laughs> he. <laughs> It's like the the police are working with this masked like guy dressed as a bat and I'm somehow the bad guy. Yes, exactly. Uh, in the dark night, he literally slams his forehead on the table. It's like, all right, so looks through the double sided glass. I'm like, we're this gonna allow this. Is inadmissible in court. Yeah. It's like I'm walking and it's your fault. Exactly. Uh that's funny and yeah. also sad. Right. So you I, know, stay tuned for podcasts yeah. where I watch things and I go, call a lawyer. Yeah. Call a lawyer. There's, call a lawyer. there's, um, there's a TikTok. There's dozens of TikTok accounts like this, but there's one that I watch where it's like, hi, this is so-and-so and I'm going to talk until they add a full block of cream cheese to this crock pot recipe. And it's like, all right, so we're going to add beans. And then he's like, okay, so in today's news, we, oh, there's the cream cheese. And then it's just, <laughs> it's funny. I don't know why all these crock pot recipes call for a full block of cream cheese, but I can see you doing something like that. It's like, all right, so we're going to watch this interrogation and I'm going to stop when they should have called a lawyer. And any threat CPS, I would call a lawyer. (laughs) Literally the second they walk into the room, call a lawyer. The second they walk into the room. And so that's, I mean, that's that's the way it should be. Like to play the game fun, I'll let the conversation go on a long time. Right. But theoretically, it should be the second you sit down. Yeah. The second they're at your door. You said a very. You said a specific, like you said, sex worker and threatening CPF, but also at the same time, you should never be talking to a cop without a lawyer. Absolutely. If, if you, if you get pulled over, I've seen the, uh, blanket response. I don't answer questions because you're not obligated to answer questions. You're not, not. um, obligated to incriminate yourself further. Um, Sure. But also keep in mind the situation. If they're pulling you over because you were speeding, like don't be a dick. Right. Like, that's yeah, not I mean, if you, for you. <laughs> if you were going, if you were going 95 and a 35 and he's like, all right, what are we doing? He's like, oh, I don't answer questions. Like, yeah, oh, like yeah. take the, take the ticket. Well, 95 and a 35, they'd probably arrest you. Cause that's like, that's, jail. that's way reckless. That's way reckless past driving. reckless endangerment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, but if you feel like, like the situation is escalating and now I shouldn't be ask, asking any or right. answering any questions then. Yeah. Yeah. I but, did. You know, see... They're knocking on your door and they're saying, you know, a murder happened next door. Yeah. Did you hear anything or do you know this person? And you do. Yeah. It's a good, just bounce, you know, I'm going right. to call my lawyer. <laughs> yeah. The, um, whether you're guilty or not, like literally. <laughs> oh yeah. No. Cause I mean, wrongful we, convictions I know happen. Wrongful like, convictions happen, but also if you are guilty, call a lawyer. <laughs> Don't yeah. talk to anybody. No, I I saw a piece of news, and I believe it was California. I might be wrong. Someone can fact check me if they want. In California, officers are no longer allowed to walk up to your vehicle and ask you, "Do you know why I pulled you over?" They have to actually walk up and be like, "So I pulled you over because." 
Because let's say your tail lights out and they didn't have a, a speed, a, like a radar gun on you. And you didn't know your tail light was out, but you were going a little fast. It's like, do you know why I pulled you over? It's like, yeah, I think I was going over the speed limit. Now he or she might not have known you were going over right, the speed limit. Right, now you've limit. done, you've committed two crimes. Yeah, and you've admitted to one on body cam. Exactly. And That's a good point. So, um, so to answer your other question about what can you do to minimize, I was always told it, when they do ask you that question, no, I don't know why you pulled me yeah. over. Please tell me. <laughs> I am I'm a model citizen. I have no idea. I am a model citizen yeah. because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I never do anything wrong. Never. Yes. See, and also I didn't know I was recently pulled over because my headlight was uh cracked and the white light was shining through, and I didn't know that that oh, was wow. against the law. And he informed me that it was. So they had to get that fixed. So just, yeah, making sure yeah. you know how to fix things on your car because they're, you're more likely to get pulled over if you got dents and bumps and yeah. your headlights are out or your taillights are cracked. Um, you can't see your license plate. You're more le- you're making yourself a target to be, to be pulled over. So Absolutely. Things like that, yeah. Not to blow up my mom's spot, but in Michigan... <laughs> Sorry, Mom. In Michigan, in Michigan, we get a lot of snow, and there have definitely been times. Uh, I don't know what the statute of limitations is, but this happened six months before that. Whenever, and <laughs> she would um, let the snow accumulate in front of her license plate to cover the expired license plate tabs yeah. in the winter. Yeah, well, they're gonna pull you over, probably. <laughs> she never got pulled over for it. Well, that's not what advice. How many do you live in? <laughs> home. Yeah, don't try it in Wayne County. <laughs> a white woman driving around. <laughs> yeah. Bad story. I'm going to cut that one out. <laughs> no, I mean, you have to be aware. Like, yeah. I, I, I walk through life, I know that I am less likely to be pulled over than a male. I'm less likely to be pulled over than um, a black woman. I'm less likely to be pulled over than a black man. I just know this. And that is on the police's responsibility to fix. I am not going to ever tell someone to diminish who they are. Right. To try to be unseen by the police. No. Right. Uh, That is their responsibility to not be racist, sexist, or otherwise. Yeah. But also be aware if you are in any of those categories, like be aware, like you're more likely to be pulled over know this, know this, know this for when that interaction comes up. Yeah. Yeah. And to go, to even go back, you're going to have to do a lot of editing now um, to my mother asking me if I was scared watching true crime stuff. I'm not scared. What scares me is that my friends could be wrongfully convicted, Mm -hmm. that I have black men that have had horrible experiences with, the police like that scares me that my friends are in danger more than me being in danger even though like crime is more likely to be perpetrated against me mm-hmm. um i don't know wrongful convictions are just so heinous to me that i couldn't not do anything yeah and even even if someone's not convicted it's a traumatic experience. Like if you walk away, if you, if you make it home that night, but you still had a gun pointed at you 
or like, I don't, I don't know if you ever have, I have had an officer point a gun at me. Mm. I think I had two or three, like I, I was, they thought I was someone else. And so they guns and then handcuffed and then they ID'd me and let me go. Cause it turns out I didn't rob the liquor store five blocks away. Um, doesn't sound like you. No, but, um, you're shaken for some time after that. And you probably have PTSD from that. That's horrible. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's, there's a little bit of what if the officer was just a little more scared? What if they were just a a little, a little more caffeinated, a little, a little less careful. Yeah. Um, and he said that to me, he was like, dude, you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. You're, you're lucky that. And I'm like, thank you. Thanks officer. Yeah. Thanks. Protect and serve. Yeah. Thanks for not shooting me, even though I did nothing wrong. Like, I don't know. Um, but really they shouldn't be shooting anyone unless they themselves are in direct danger. Yeah. I just, so like the response to shoot you off the get was. Yeah. In my opinion, that's not the way you deescalate a situation. No. And like, I, not that it matters, but like, as soon as I saw lights, I assumed cops. And so, you know, hands, hands up, but it's like, you're going to tell me I was lucky for, for not being shot with my hands up in the air. Like, yeah, I don't know if that was, that was a weird comment to hear from a officer whose job it is to protect you. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like, why were they so aggro when they have like 10 of them coming up on you? Yes. You could have had a weapon, but was that necessary? No, it, it <laughs> what was wasn't. the situation. Where were you? Were you walking in somewhere? I was on the roof of my building in, in Harlem. And they came in how they came up the, they, yeah, they were busted in the door on the roof. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was like a SWAT team. Eh? It definitely had SWAT vibes, but it was just, it was just a bunch of uh, officers, uniformed yeah. officers. Yeah. Um, Interesting. That's crazy. Yeah. Must've really looked like the guy. I guess. I don't know. Witness I didn't, misidentification. I didn't, I didn't follow up. I mean, they took my name and number. <laughs> you didn't follow for, up. You're like, I got to get out of here. No. Uh, <laughs> no, I was like, I don't want, I don't want to think about this ever again. Ever again. And, and here I am eight years later broadcasting it, putting it on the record. And when I make it into movies, Kimmel is going to ask me about it on the air one day. There you go. Yeah. Well, it's It's good to know that. I, I, I don't know you to be someone who dabbles in crime. I don't know you to be someone who dabbles in anything nefarious. Maybe you are an actor. Never trust With an actor. With fingernails like that. I need long nails if I'm going to be nefarious. <laughs> I'm missing mine today, too. I can't be uh, <laughs> clacking all over here. You, but... <laughs> you knew we were doing this today. What's like? What's with the lack of preparation? <laughs> Look, <laughs> it takes like five hours to get these babies done, okay? Yeah. <laughs> it took us 40 they... minutes to set it up. So I know. They always look great, though. Your nails Thank are you. always on point. The next time they will be done, and I will be broadcasting model citizen vibes everywhere. So, <laughs> deal. So, uh, but yes, I think it's good to share that story because, um, like I said, you're not someone who's crime adjacent. You're not around that lifestyle. So, just to remind people that 
it can happen to you. Yeah, it can happen to anyone. Reminding people, but like, if you knew how often wrongful convictions happen and how easily they happen, like it's it's not even surprising to me anymore when I hear a story, like other people's jaws are on the ground and I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, let me get to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The sounds about right is probably the most heartbreaking part about it. It's yes. That, and like that we don't even like Bill and I don't even have reactions to the stories we hear anymore. That's kind of what I've noticed over the time. Like I used to be yeah. so outraged and I know I was younger. It's been like eight years, but over time I've, I'm not even outraged anymore. I'm like, yep, this is it. Like, I just, we got to fight this one just like we fight all the other ones. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy. Okay. We've got maybe four or five more minutes. Yeah. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you want to get out there for the people to know about either model citizen or keeping themselves safe? Um. No, I did want to mention that the name came, where the name came from, though. So yeah. Do you like want to prompt the question, or do you just want me to go off the riff? <laughs> hey, Shelby. Hey, what? <laughs> You're launching Model Citizen PI. It's yes. a unique name. By yes. chance, where did it come from? <laughs> so the name actually came from people asking me if I ever did any modeling. Um, and I would say, no, I'm not a model. I'm a model citizen. And here's how you can be one, too. And then I would tell them about my private investigation work. So as you see from my pages, I do dabble in the arts. I love modeling. I take uh, aesthetics very seriously. Um, And I want that to carry over into the brand as well, because how we view things and how things look um, determines how we engage with the content. So I want to make it aesthetically pleasing. Mm -hmm. And the tagline is um, stay safe stay sexy and seek justice. So, which has been my personal would, motto. Yeah. <laughs> like I've, I've heard that like tagline for years now. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so thrilled that you are turning it into something that I know is just going to blow up and be super successful because you are smart. You're passionate and driven about this because you care. And I don't know, you've been working at it for so long and now this is, it's finally taking this shape in this new business. It's going to, it's going to be great. And I can't wait to, I can't wait. I'm so glad that I get to be here in the beginning of it. Yes. I'm like, so excited. This is like the first time I get to talk to someone about it. And like the fact that you gave me a platform to like, even to tell your 10 fans, um, It's going to be uh, it's, 12. It's exciting. Yep. It's going to be 12 and 15. It's going to be 12. Yeah. It's 10 it's of so mine. Exciting. And then whoever you get to bring in and whoever wants to watch. Absolutely. And then um, as it evolves, like I, you're the first person I'm having on via Zoom because I realized how limiting it is trying to get people into this space, like on a personal level, you being in Michigan, me being in New York, but I would love to have you on as often as you'd like to continue to talk about. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you'd be allowed to talk about ongoing cases or anything. Um, and then like developments with the business. I, yes. I would love to have. And you it gives me an excuse to come to New York and then I can actually yes. be in the studio. That will be very exciting. I can People actually wear watch. the headphones. <laughs> you can actually, I've got a headphone set for you, you and your own Perfect. microphone right there. And then that's me right there. Good. And then we can actually split a bottle in person. And you can get the full fit 
Oh yeah. On camera. <laughs> the nails will be 